Hello and welcome to Seeds and Ways, a podcast. I'm the Reverend Dr. Cheryl A. Lindsay, Minister for Worship and Theology for the United Church of Christ. Today I'm delighted to welcome guest reflector, Reverend Stephanie Perdue, PhD, Director of the Damascus Project, a shared theological education ministry of the Wisconsin and Minnesota Conferences of the United Church of Christ, who shares her reflection for Transfiguration Sunday. This is Stephanie Perdue with Sermon Seeds for Transfiguration Sunday, Year B, 2024. Scripture tells us that God is a God who speaks. God speaks even before there are humans. God's speech calls humans into being. God said, let us make humankind. Then God speaks directly to the humans. Be fruitful and multiply, both from Genesis. As scripture unfolds, God continues to speak. Psalm 50 this morning proclaims that God speaks and summons the earth. As we say in the United Church of Christ, God is still speaking, not only in scripture or to our ancestors, but to us today. But while God speaks, we humans struggle to hear. God must repeat God's self several times in certain situations. Moses, Moses, God calls in Exodus. Sometimes we hear God's voice clearly and loudly, such as John heard the voice at the baptism of Jesus. Other times it is a still, small voice, such as Elijah heard on the mountain. God speaks, but we humans are frequently portrayed as unwilling to listen. As Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Matthew 23. But God continues to speak and sends prophets to speak as well. God's instructions to Ezekiel assume that there will be human resistance. Ezekiel says, God said to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. Scripture connects the voice of God with visions of God. When people hear God's voice, they see things. Doves, angels, clouds, fire, thrones and chariots. Bushes burn, but are not consumed. A whirlwind ensues. The heavens open, as in today's reading from Second Kings about Elijah and Elisha. There is a curious note in 1 Samuel 3 that says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. 
Can it be that when we stop listening or looking, God stops speaking or appearing? Scripture leaves this unresolved, but the whole arc of Scripture suggests that God is still speaking. As Psalm 50 declares today, our God does not keep silence. Despite our repeated rejections, God wants a conversation with us, so much that God's very eternal word becomes flesh and lives among us. In Greek, literally, tabernacles or camps out among us, which evokes images of the exodus and the tabernacle in the desert. Scripture and Christian history are replete with stories of people hearing godly voices and seeing godly visions. The Egyptian theologian, Origen of Alexandria, in the second century, was the first to speak of what are called the spiritual senses. The tradition of the spiritual senses teaches that while scripture uses the vocabulary of sight, touch, and hearing to describe encounters with God, these encounters are not always literal or confined only to those who have their senses intact. Perception of God operates on another plane. It is not only for those who have sight or hearing. Rather, humans know and sense God spiritually, and spiritual experiences have real content. They are not just cognitive, but intuitive, mystical. This ancient teaching challenges our often ablest readings of scripture. The tradition of the spiritual senses advances into Protestantism, despite Protestantism's sometimes extreme emphasis on plain reading of scripture and on the word preached to the exclusion of the word imagined or visualized. The American Puritan preacher, our Congregationalist ancestor Jonathan Edwards, also spoke of cultivating the spiritual senses. The Christian spiritual tradition, beginning with these second century theologians, insists that God is still speaking and that our spiritual senses can be cultivated in prayer, silence, community, and charity. But to us, the words of 1 Samuel often seem true. The word of God seems rare in our days, and visions are not widespread. In the Gospel reading, God speaks from a cloud concerning Jesus, saying, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. There is a voice in the story, and there is a vision. Peter, James, and John see the prophets Elijah and Moses. They see tr Jesus transfigured before them. His clothes are no longer normal, like the likely linen, definitely dusty clothes of Galilee. Instead, they are dazzling white, such as no one could possibly clean them. 
On Transfiguration Sunday, many preachers address people who do not have particularly developed spiritual senses to allow them to hear and appreciate this story. And that is no fault of our congregants. It is the legacy of modernity, of an enlightenment that pared away our confidence in mystical and non-cognitive ways of knowing, that aroused our suspicions about dreams and visions, and left us in a disenchanted world, as the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor painstakingly depicts in his writings. This may be less so, depending on one's social location within the United Church of Christ. But Taylor would still insist that the legacies of secular capitalism leave all of us in a world that is at least partially disenchanted. So will those who hear this gospel reading or the story of Elijah and Elisha from 2 Kings really be able to imagine voices speaking from the heavens, prophets appearing, God's chariot descending, the heavens opening, or Jesus glowing in glorified clothing? If our imaginations and spiritual experiences are that impoverished, how do we lead people into this story for the sake of their own spiritual growth? Many of our people may not be able to relate to the voice or to the vision, but they have been to a mountain. So invite them to imagine those mountains, the Rockies, Appalachia, the Sierra Nevada, upstate New York, the Smoky Mountains, the Pacific Northwest. Or maybe they have been in the mountains of Mexico or South America of Europe, Asia, or North Africa. Start by trying to help them orient themselves to the story geographically. One of the ways that our imaginations are spiritually impoverished is that many of us are not particularly scripturally literate anymore. My UCC colleague, Reverend Dr. Fritz West, once spoke about what he called the typological imagination or the ability to hear one scriptural story echoing another, which is what lectionaries assume. Some people can hear the story of the transfiguration and think of Mount Sinai or Mount Carmel or even the Mount of Olives or even Golgotha, but many people cannot. And if they cannot think about these mountains, they also likely cannot connect biblical story to biblical story, or what literary theory would call intertextuality. In the typological imagination, Jesus on Mount Tabor is like Moses on Mount Sinai, or Elijah on Mount Carmel both of whom appear in the Transfiguration story. Jesus is on Mount Tabor in glory, but soon he will be in agony on the Mount of Olives and then in suffering on Golgotha. 
But then we know he will be resurrected and finally ascend from the Mount of Olives. If our congregants cannot make these scriptural connections, it is our job as preachers to make them for them. So go mountain by mountain, layer story upon story, point out the connections, and by all means, take our ancestors' spiritual experiences seriously. One of the most severe prejudices that many of us living on this side of modernity have is a superiority and skepticism about other people's spiritual experiences. The British Dominican priest, James Allison, who is best known in many circles for his writing as an out gay man and Roman Catholic father, puts our prejudices this way, noting that modern people often start with one of two viewpoints about scriptural stories. In this case, he is talking about the resurrection. The first is that scriptural depictions of voices and visions are simply untrustworthy, which, as Allison notes, is an intellectually coherent and consistent position. And, he says, the second starting point, quote, is that the disciples thought that the resurrection was something objective that really happened to Jesus, and so describe it in the way they did. However, from the vantage point of modernity, or some such position of supposed superiority, we know better than they. And in the light of our more sophisticated philosophical techniques, we are able to reread the texts and see that, in fact, what is being described is a subjective experience. Now, this does not seem to be an intellectually coherent position, Allison says. He goes on. This is saying we accept the apostolic tradition, but we do not accept this bit of it because we understand this bit better than the apostolic group. It is quite clear, he says, that whatever the apostolic witnesses are describing, it was something which broke the categories of easily available speech, something entirely new and unexpected, and furthermore, something which they saw as definitive and unsurpassable. For us to claim that we understand it better than they, is effectively to claim that it was not definitive and unsurpassable because we, in our understanding, have surpassed it and are, under, and are able to understand it. That is to say, the approach I am describing is somewhat contradictory, Allison says. It is a way of not accepting the apostolic wit witness while pretending to. Considered as an intellectual approach to a text from a different culture, it also shows an incapacity for alterity, for being able to imagine that something might be being described in the text, which in fact blows open all approaches to reality, including our own. 
it is as though that can only be accepted, which can be digested within our frame of reference. That whose acceptance alters our frame of reference cannot be accepted. Allison concludes, but then human thought is inescapably either tentatively open to alterity or else totalitarian, but never detached or neutral, end quote. If we were to substitute transfiguration for resurrection, most of what Allison is saying pertains to some of our congregations today. They want to take the gospel witness seriously, but secular, postmodern biases get in the way. And these biases get in the way of our taking our own spiritual experiences seriously. Peter, James, and John are not the only ones who have had a spiritual experience of Jesus. Many of our people have too, but they don't know how to talk about it. Reverend Bobby McKay is a licensed psychologist and ordained UCC minister who conducted a research study on spiritual life in the United Church of Christ. Her data revealed and confirmed what she had already seen as a parish pastor and a psychologist, that postmodern people do have spiritual experiences, but lack the vocabulary to describe them or are too self-conscious to admit them. A recent interview with Reverend McKay says, the data revealed what she already knew, that people never talked about the stories of when God became real to them because they didn't want to seem weird or too religious. This study opened the door for those with God experiences. For the first time, people were able to share an amazing experience with Reverend McKay. They were willing to say, this was God in my life. This wasn't some kind of fantasy I had. This is God, but I don't talk about it in the church. At 92 years old, McKay is still the pastoral associate for spiritual life at Glenview Community UCC in the Chicago suburbs. And she is still teaching others how to form small spiritual life groups in their congregations. She encourages a process for lay people that is deceptively simple. Meet one hour a month. Ask people to talk about their spiritual experiences without interruption questioning, or judgment. Assure them that these experiences are real and teach them to pray aloud. As McKay said in the recent interview, all of us need to pray, and when we pray aloud, we connect with each other at a different level. We are all trying to learn how to talk to God and to hear God, she said. So help your people hear God on Sunday. Take them to the mountain. Let various scriptural associations, such as those suggested here, 
wash over them. Remind them that God is still speaking and gently ask whether we are still listening. Suggest what might help in their listening. Ask them if they have ever had a mountaintop experience of God, even if they are too afraid to talk about it. It wouldn't be surprising. Peter, James, and John were afraid too. Invite them beyond that fear and consider ways to encourage them to talk about those experiences in the future. Thank you, Dr. Perdue, for your powerful reflection. And thank you for joining Seeds and Ways. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find the full sermon Seeds entry, including a suggested congregational response, quotes for further reflection, voices of African descent, and the roadmap for the entire season on ucc.org. Sermon Seeds also has a Facebook page where I do Facebook Live process videos in preparation for the reflection and share updates and links for Sermon Seeds and Worship Ways. Follow us there and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. I pray that this tool provides a seed that will bear fruit in your faith community as you proclaim the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.